Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. So this morning, I actually want to continue down the same theme, same vein that we started last week, and that's simply this. It's in the theme of discipleship. And uh, if, I, if you're taking notes today, in fact, the title of today's message is called The Heart of a Disciple. And I just believe this, guys, that it is, that it is time, and it sounds so silly to say it that way, but it's time that we as the church get back to what it really means to follow Jesus. Amen. In other words, that it's time to maybe erase the idea of who we want Jesus to be and the idea of who we are trying to follow. And let's just get back to what he said in his word, who a follower really is, and let's line our own lives up with that. Amen. Amen. So let's begin by reading Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, talking about Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, two words, follow me. Can somebody say, follow me? And he said, and I will make you fishers of men. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. I love it. Without hesitation, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. So with those verses in mind, I want to ask a simple question today, and that's this. Is that when Jesus said those two words, follow me, to Peter, Andrew, John, and James, like what was he really telling them? Uh, I think if you've been in church for a while, that the automatic answer that you want to give, like all of us would give, is obviously, man, he was inviting them to become his disciples. But, but I want to maybe take a step back from that today and really go, but what does that really mean? Because the truth is, if we like to admit it or not, we as Americans have come up with an idea of what it means to be a disciple that always doesn't line up with the word. If you know that's true, say, oh, yeah. So in my opinion, if we are going to understand what Jesus was really asking us to do when he says follow him, then we need to take a dip into the Jewish culture that Jesus lived in and functioned in because he didn't live and function in the United States of America. He functioned in a Jewish culture, and it's from that Jewish culture that we understand what it really means to walk with him. So the first thing I want to point out is this, is that the idea of having disciples wasn't a new concept that Jesus, for a lack of better words, created when he came. In fact, uh, it was a common practice for rabbis who we know are teachers of the law to have disciples in that day. In fact, uh, I'll just say it this way. If, you, if you've ever read John chapter 1, you'll see that John the Baptist even had disciples. And when he said simply this, that I must decrease so he can increase, some of those disciples that were with John, John blessed him and gave him permission to go and be a disciple of Jesus. So I say that because this wasn't a new idea once again, but it was entrenched in this culture. Now, what was the purpose or the number one goal behind the relationship between a disciple and a rabbi? The, the main goal was simply this, is that the disciple would become like the rabbi, that he would become like the rabbi. Now, the main way that they went about that goal, because that's not a, an easy goal, but it was simply this, that the disciple would follow the rabbi everywhere he went to ensure that the disciple would do his best to copy everything the rabbi did. Am I making sense? 
For example, uh, if the rabbi said, you know, on Tuesday, I'm going to take 10,231 steps, then the disciple said, you know what, on Tuesday, I'm going to take 10,231 steps. If he saw, literally, if the disciple watched his rabbi, and he knows that his rabbi uh, memorized and studied and meditated on the scriptures five hours a day, that's what he would do. If he literally sat back and he watched his rabbi treat his wife a certain way, he would go home and he would treat his wife that way. That he would literally, as a a disciple he would watch the rabbi and he would watch how he interact with his kids and raise his kids and he would go home and he would try to put those same things into practice in fact it got so detailed in this relationship and this counts sounds maybe a little crazy to us but he would literally uh see how long the rabbi's hair was and he would go and he say that's how long my hair needs to be he would watch his what his prayer shawl was that he would use and how he would pray and he would go and he'd get the same prayer shawl and the same uh, begin to pray the same way he would literally watch how the rabbi ate and he would go and he would eat the same way whatever the rabbi ate that's what he would eat however he slept and how long he slept that's what he would do and it even got so detailed and I'm not trying to be gross but just so you understand the magnitude of what we're talking about this followership that literally he would follow him into the bathroom and he would watch how he would handle his business and he would go do it in the same way whatever his bathroom habits were he would make them those his bathroom habits so in short in almost every way that you can imagine yes even there guess what the goal was for the life of the rabbi to be transferred into the life of their disciple that's what it meant to be a follower of a rabbi so another fact I want to point out is this, is that historically, this is key, in the Jewish culture, a rabbi or a teacher would actually choose his disciples, not the other way around. You know, so often today we live in a world that if you're a young gun and you want to learn from somebody, you know, you look up at this man of God and you say, man, I want to be like him or this woman of God. Say, I want to be like them. Then typically we approach them and we say, hey, can you disciple me? Can you mentor me? But in this, in this Jewish culture, uh, the rabbi always chose, he always handpicked his disciples because ultimately their disciples became a reflection of them. So much so that if the disciple messed up, that the people in that culture would look past that disciple and they would actually blame the rabbi for whatever happened. If a rabbi picked a disciple that constantly messed up repeatedly, what would happen was is everybody would look past that and it would ruin the rabbi's reputation in the society. And so as you can think, if, because obviously a reputation is important, a good name is important, basically before they picked somebody, they said, you know what, I need to go about this with wisdom and I need to be intentional in it. So, so listen, uh, when we take all those things into consideration, right, and we apply it over to Matthew chapter 4, we can easily see that when Jesus said, follow me to those four guys who were on the seashore, it wasn't something, this is the point I want you to get, it wasn't a casual invite, right? Rather, it was something that he wisely and intentionally decided to do. So, and it was, and it was even in this sense, that not only was it uh, from wisdom and intentionality, those four guys, but those four guys who heard that call, follow me, that was something that they needed to take serious. In fact, they took it so serious, they said, you know what, I'm going to leave the very thing that I'm known for fishing, the very thing that I am good at, and I know I'm going to leave the comfort of my father. I'm going to leave all these things immediately and I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, let me bring some clarity to this really quick. For years, I read uh, this passage of scripture, and I thought, man, these guys were just doing their deal. And Jesus walked by and said, follow me. And they just 
like went with him. Like, like that was their first encounter with Jesus. It was not their first encounter with Jesus. Go back to John chapter 1, and obviously Andrew said, man, Peter, you got to come see. I think I found the Messiah. He had that spot with Nathaniel, learned the tree, all of that. And so they actually saw Jesus and kind of followed him, if you will, from a distance for a few months. Uh, and they kind of watched, and then they had that moment. So there was something about Jesus that they knew, man, there's something different about this guy. And he's so different, I'm willing to lay down it all and follow him. Right, like to literally go, I'm laying down my identity and who I am to go follow him, right? Because that's what happened. I left my identity to grab the identity of the rabbi. Am I making sense, you guys? So just to say this, in the spirit of the day, Jesus was not only asking them to come do life with him, but he was asking them to become like him so that they would ultimately be a reflection of him to the world that he desperately loved and he came to die for. So there's, this is serious, right? Once again, come and do life with me. Come and know me, but come and become like me because I need you to become so much like me, you're a reflection of who I am. In fact, if we want to get back down to it, read the book of Acts, that originally uh, Christians weren't called Christians. We were called people of the way, right? Because Jesus was the way, and he came to show us the way. And so we were known as people of the way, believers in Christ. But if you go in Antioch, was the first place that they ever said, you know what, uh, those people, we're going to call them Christians. And it was kind of actually a way that they made fun of them, which is interesting. But Christian simply means this. It means little Christ. In other words, we act so much like him, people are like, man, they got to be with him. Amen? All right, so let's shift gears here. Uh, as we, I want to specify that once again, even though Jesus didn't create the idea of discipleship, please don't miss this. He certainly redefined it. And it's in that redefining of what and who a disciple is, that's where you and I find ourselves today. That's in the current day and age we live in, we live in the redefining process. And I want to make something really clear before we talk about what this redefining really is. But, but I'm going to show you a verse in Matthew 28, 18, 19. A lot of us in here can quote this verse, but I think we breeze through it and we miss the first two words. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. He says, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make what? Disciples. Because I have that authority, you go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. In other words, everything I've taught you. What's my point I'm trying to make? I'm trying to say this, that God the Father gave Jesus the authority to define who and what a disciple is of the kingdom. Watch this, not us. Right, so often in the church today, I'm not picking on anybody, I'm just shooting straight with you. So often we try to define what a disciple looks like, and that's not how it works. Because we weren't the ones given the authority, Jesus was. Amen? So what I want to do is, is listen, as I've prayed, uh, you know, I, I don't have time to go through everything that I feel like I need to say. But there's three things I really want to point out today. There's three verses that, man, I just say out of everything really in the Gospels, Jesus' interaction that really stood out to me. And, uh, and I think that these three portions of Scripture not only show us the life and the heart of a disciple, but to put it frankly, it's what Jesus expects from you and what he expects from me. Okay? Y'all with me? The first verse is this. It's Matthew 6, 24. Don't get so hung up in the context of this. Uh, get caught up in the principle of it. Matthew 6, 24. This is where Jesus said this. He said, no one, that's us included, right? Can serve or can worship two masters. Somebody say two masters. Two masters. 
says either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So listen, when we apply this verse to what we're talking about today, once again, let's pull it back into the Jewish culture that Jesus lived in and operated in. We, we discover that, guess what? That Jesus is saying kind of that it's impossible for a disciple to follow two rabbis at one time. Give me some wiggle room here and then we'll land it, okay? So in other words, it's this, that, that if Jared was a rabbi and he asked me to follow him, right, on Monday, and on Tuesday, Rabbi Ben came and asked me, that's awesome, I might call you that from now on, Ra- Ra- <laughs> Ra- Rabbi Ben comes in and asks me to follow him, then guess what, I can't say uh, yes to Rabbi Jared and then yes to Rabbi Ben, and then I'm trying to follow both of them. Like, how, how can I literally imitate him and then do my best to imitate him Right? It just doesn't work that way. I become a two-headed freak. Right? Well, watch this. Here's what the church, or so many church people do, right? Let me follow Rabbi Jesus. Let me follow Rabbi World. And let me try to be, and we look like freaks. Because we can't make up our mind who we want to be. You either got to follow Jesus or you follow the world. Don't be lukewarm. Right? Does that sound, I know this is strong, but hey, it's Bible, right? So, so here's the thing, uh, is once again, I can't serve both. I have to choose who I'm going to serve and who I'm going to worship, right? So Jesus is saying it's impossible, once again, for a disciple to follow two rabbis at one time, just as he's saying it's equally impossible for us to follow or serve him and money at the same time, okay? Now, listen, while Jesus is clearly in context referencing money here, uh, we all know that the same principle applies to every area of our lives, is that true? L- listen, there, there's not a one of us in this room, if we're honest. In other words, if we take off that self-religious hat for a minute, okay, and we say, you know, there's not a one of us in this room that's not tempted in some way to get distracted into serving something else that, you know, other than God in this world. We're all tempted to do it, right? We're all tempted to have a divided allegiance somehow uh, that pulls us away from God. For some people, it might be what Jesus was talking about here. It might be money. It's true, Okay. I've met many people that that is the vice. For another person, it might be they're just tempted to serve a person. Okay? And, and if I can delve into that, in, in 20 plus years of preaching the gospel, I don't know how many people I've met that have chosen uh, more times than not in moments, critical moments of life, they choose their spouse over Jesus. And I've seen loads and loads and loads of people in critical moments serve their uh, children more than they serve God. In other words, like they, that they somehow forget that they're the parent and the child is a child. It's their job to lead. It's their job to follow. And they actually start following their children because they want to be buddies. And the problem is there is there's an emotional need that's in those people that's unhealthy that they think their children need to be their friends. Once again, we are stewards of our children to raise them in the admonition of the Lord. It's not for us to become buddies with them. Am I making sense? Because when we become buddies with them, they become a God and we serve them and we bow to them and we're the ones that's constantly whatever you want, whatever you wish. Somewhere along the line, I know that I'm securing the love of Jesus. Am I making sense to y'all? So listen, like how many times have I seen over the years that there's this critical moment in life and, and maybe God's called people to do something, but like, man, I got that group of friends over there. 
And they walk away from Jesus to go that way. Am I making sense to y'all? How many people have, that do what? They, man, they, they put their job before Jesus. They put their company before Jesus. They take their hobby and they put it before Jesus. They go, well, you know, we got this project we're working on. And, uh, man, it's going to take me three months to do it. Jesus, hold up. I got to put all my attention here for a minute. It's not the way it works, guys. And I'll even say this because, man, it's just like Pats are playing today at 1 o'clock and Bama's playing in two weeks. Man, we can even take a sports team and make it our God. Yes? Yes. So the truth is, once again, this world is full of things that are vying for our heart and our devotion. And all Jesus is saying here in, in the book of Matthew, saying, if you're going to follow me, then I require, if you're going to be my disciple, I require your loyalty and your commitment. So, in fact, if we just kind of get this in the spirit of what we're talking about, as I was preparing this, I was reminded of what Elijah the prophet said in 1 Kings 18.21. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? Like let's, like, let's let that question settle. How long will you waver between two opinions? And he says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, whatever your Baal is... Right? If that's God, then follow him. But you make the decision. Quit being betwixt between two decisions. Get out of the valley of decision. Pick one or pick the other. Be hot or be cold. Quit being lukewarm. Amen? So if we're sitting here today, how do we know if, we are trying our, if we're trying in our lives to serve two masters? Uh, the only question I, I can maybe ask to hopefully help us identify that is simply this. And I'm sure there's a thousand better ways to do this, to figure it out than what I'm giving you. But, but when I, if I'm like, man, I'm trying to make a decision in life. And, and if my decision process automatically goes to those things that we just talked about, right? Spouse, children, job, money, hobby, all those things, if my mind automatically goes there before it goes, how can this decision honor and obey Jesus and the will of God for my life, then guess what? I'm trying to serve that and him at the same time. And I'll tell you what, you can't straddle a fence that long without falling, and it's going to hurt in the middle. Amen? So literally, that when it's a decision time, am I trying to obey God and please Him, or am I trying to please others? Am I trying to please Him or please myself? Because once again, we got this thing in our mind that God somehow, every decision He makes for our lives, to make us happy. And it doesn't work that way. Obedience doesn't equal happiness. Will you find joy in obedience? Yes, but happiness and joy are two different things. Amen? So I just think this, man, if we can honestly today, uh, you know, take off the mask and all the excuses and we can just maybe answer that question, it'll reveal our true level of loyalty and commitment to Jesus. It'll show us where it really lies, who we're really serving. So number one, if you were taking notes, if you're taking notes, the first thing Jesus wants his followers to do as a disciple is he wants this. He wants our unwavering loyalty. He wants our loyalty. Like, how loyal are we to Jesus? The second verse that popped up and really stood in my heart was this, Luke 14, 25 through 27. It says, as massive crowds follow Jesus. This is, this is where you learn that Jesus is so different than modern-day preachers, and I'm one of them, okay? As massive crowds follow Jesus, he turned to them and said, when you follow me as my disciple, you must put aside or you must hate your father your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brothers. Yes, you will even seem as though you hate your own life. How many of you guys know that doesn't grow the congregation? 
that's why he was so different. Because he wasn't after numbers, he was after hearts. It says this, this is the price you'll pay, not that God's against numbers, okay? Because numbers are souls. This is the price you'll pay to be considered one of my followers. Get that. This is the price you'll pay. There is a price to be paid, guys. Yes, there's a price to pay to be considered one of my followers. Verse 27, it says, And anyone who comes to me must be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own. It says, or he cannot be considered to be my disciple. Or he cannot be considered to be my disciple. Remember who has the authority here? Him, not us. So, listen, how many of you guys know those are some strong words? Like, ouch, right? Um, but listen, let's not misinterpret what Jesus is saying here because he's not saying that we need to hate others in the way that we as Americans typically use the word hate. Okay, in other words, if, if I can help you here, uh, if, if you don't know how we define it, go turn on CNN or Fox News today. Just when you get home from church, just turn it on. Watch about two minutes because that's my, all your spirit can maybe handle. Okay? And, and, and just go... And just go um, Okay, that's what hate looks like. Turn it off. Right? So that's not what he means. So it's just simply this. In context, we got to remember the, the same mouth that this came out of is the same mouth that told us to honor and love our father and mother. So he's not contradicting himself. But when we actually look at the original language, the word hate here really means this. It means, don't miss this, it means to love less. To love less. So in context, he's telling us that if you and I are going to be his disciples, that he expects us to love others, including ourselves, less than we love him. Yeah? In other words, that every relationship in our lives, it's good to do evaluations, man. It's good to do that. To go, man, is every relationship secondary to my love for him? Like literally, do I love him more than anything or anyone in this world? Because once again, why? What we read a while ago, we can't serve two masters. Right? Because everybody listen to me, please. Because obviously I love it that in context, notice, notice he really talked about family. And, and, and notice there's, there's a day that's coming that Jesus said that brother will turn against brother, that parents will turn against their children, children will turn against We're already kind of seeing that. We are, right? And so, so to understand that what's coming prophetically, to understand, man, it's key that you and I actually have this right in our hearts, that we put him first and foremost. Because if we try to live our lives to, to please our family, right? And, and listen, I am, I am 42 years old, and I'll be lying to you if I said that there's times where I went, man, I, you know, I got to make this decision, and I think, man, how's my mom gonna, what's my mom going to think about it? Because there's still this desire to please my mom and to please my dad and for them to be proud of me. But at the end of the day, I cannot let my desire to please them supersede my obedience to God. Right? Because listen, if I would have listened to my family, especially when they were not saved, I would not be standing right here. I wouldn't. Because as I was preparing this, I haven't thought about this in so long. But I, but I was reminded, I felt like the Lord reminded me when I was 19 years old, I was my second year of Bible school, and um, doing my best to honor and love God. I didn't come from a church family. Uh, my parents weren't saved. And, and I came home just to hang out with mom and my stepdad uh, for a day. That's all I did. Just came to hang out for a day. And my mom had something else in mind. She, she wrangled me and the person I had with me, and we went and sat at the, at the nice dining room table. We never went to the dining room, like ever, right? And we sat at the dining room table because I guess mom had business in mind. And she began to talk to me. She said, son, I understand that you want to go in ministry, but 
Um, what if this ministry thing doesn't work out? What are you going to do then? Son, what's your backup plan? And then she began to give me her wisdom, which was basically that I need to, uh, you know, kind of finish up that year or quit. I can't remember which one it was. And I need to go to this college in town and how financially she'll help me get there. And I remember looking at my mom, and this was after, you, you, listen, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. You, you know how I am so, so, but it's okay. You know how a man can just like say it and it's done? Like two sentences, boom, we're done. And, and like women, I don't know, man, it's like not all of them, but men this gift to take those two sentences, and it's like you pull it into the Amplified Bible. <laughs> right? And, and my, mom, my mom was amplifying on those few sentences, and I remember it, it became like Charlie Brown's teacher. Won't, 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 won't. And I put my head down on the table, and I was like, God, you got to help me. Because, listen, as a 19-year-old boy, I was sitting there going, how do I explain what I have in my heart and the things I know Jesus has spoken to me to a woman and to a man that does not know God? Like, that's hard. But I will say this, if that day, if my heart would not have been set on just following Jesus and making Him first and foremost in my life, then I would have disobeyed God. And I just looked at my mom, simple as I knew how, and I just said, Mom, when I answered the call, I just knew there was no plan B. Like, there's no plan B. There, there's nothing in my mind that, that I understood in my heart. Guess what? I'm not, because I looked at the ministry team I was at. I wasn't the most talented. I wasn't the most gifted. Wasn't the best looking. I wasn't all those things. But I just knew, man, if I can just go, no plan B, respond to God, God will take care of the rest. Right? Amen. So if we, maybe if we can live today as disciples in our heart to just go, you know, whatever life looks like, man, there is no plan B. Hell and high water, we're going with Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 Let me get back on track here. Let's remember the order here in Matthew 22, 37 through 38. I'm going to pick up the pace here. Jesus simply said this. Watch again. Pay attention to the order. We're talking about family here. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There's a lot of alls in there. Amen? And then he says in verse 38, this is the what? Come on, read it with me. Order here. This is the first. Oh, y'all going the distance. I was just looking for one word. Y'all are amazing. This is the first, first and greatest command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor. Does mom and dad, brother and sister fall into the neighbor category? Yes. And who's third in the list? Yourself. So let's remember really quick, and i got to say this from some folks in the room. Uh, remember what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He said this. He said, guys, you have done a great job preaching the truth. You've done a great job discerning the truth. You've done a great job knowing false prophets. You've done a great job knowing who real prophets are. You've done a great job at working in the ministry and doing all these great things. But he said, I have this one thing against you. What was the one thing? He said, you have lost your first love. So I just want to ask you today, listen, I don't know where everybody's heart is in the room. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I just want to ask you today, as we as a church go, man, let's get back to the heart of a disciple. If we can maybe stop and ask ourselves honestly, man, do we need to return to our first love? Do we need to return to him today? 
And if I can just encourage you in this, because for some people, that is so scary, okay? And I understand why it would be scary, right? Like, like we find so much comfort in things, and even though they're, we know they're not the best for us, right? But if we can maybe stop and go, man, if I love Jesus with everything I have, then just maybe it'll be a whole lot easier to love those people over there, right? That if I love him, maybe I can love them well, but if I put them the priority, then guess what typically happens? I can tell you this. For my own family, when my own brothers have decided we're going to walk with God, we have unity in our family. When they get their eyes off God and they start serving themselves and loving themselves and loving all these things, we have loads of issues in our family. Loads of issues. This unity goes out the window. So be encouraged today, man, as you make that decision, return to your first love. Love him with everything you got. Man, it's going to be a whole lot easier to love them. So the second thing that we're doing here as uh, followers of Christ is what he wants. Let me say it right. The second thing Jesus wants from his followers is this, is undivided love. Love. And it's in that undivided love, guess what, that legalism goes out the door. It's hard, to, it's hard to find let religious spirits attached to you when you're walking in love. Amen? So the third and final passage stood out to me was Luke chapter 9. Are y'all all right? Good deal. Luke chapter 9. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, get that, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responds, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then Jesus keeps walking, he looks at another guy, and he gives the same two words that he gave those four guys on the seashore. He says, follow me, but it said that that guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, what? He said, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but it's for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another one said, Jesus, I'll follow you. Lord, I'll follow you, right? And he says, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Once again, strong words. At face value, it looks like Jesus needs a dose of compassion. Right? It's like, man, like, where did the guy that wanted to feed everybody with some bread and fish go? Right? Like, where did he go? Right? But, but we have to understand that, that Jesus was speaking to the heart of those people. And what he was talking about was basically what their priority was. He was addressing their priorities. See, You see, when it came to that first person said, God, I'll follow you wherever you go. When he responds, foxes have holes and birds have their nests. Jesus was speaking to their need for security in what? In material things. He was saying your priority in life cannot be wrapped up in your physical security and your comfort. Like, let's be honest today. How many times have we made decisions based off of our own need for comfort? Yes. When it came to the heart of the second person, Jesus was speaking to his desire to, keywords, put all following him. Why? Because in the culture, you got to understand what's going on. If I could take a little moment here to do this, that this guy was sitting there and Jesus comes by and he says, I'll follow you. But first, let me go do what, right? Let me go get my inheritance. Why? Because my father just died. So when you actually study this out, according to theologians that are way smarter than me, they're basically saying this. So what happened with this guy is more than likely he was the older brother in a family and dad died and he knew he was going to get the inheritance. And he knew if I leave and I start following Jesus now, right, if I don't put off that moment, if I go now, then the inheritance will not go to me. It'll go to my younger brother. And so what happens is he's saying, you know what, please hear me. 
if this thing with Jesus doesn't work out, I need my plan B. I need my, that inheritance. I need the farm. I need the, I need the money. I need to make sure I'm taken care of, that I have comfort, that I have security. And Jesus said, let that bury his own dead. In other words, what he was saying was this. You need to understand that the inheritance that your heavenly father gives you far supersedes the inheritance that your earthly father can give you. Amen? So remember what Jesus said here in the spirit of this. He said, he told you and I to store up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Now, is Jesus against any of these things? Is he against our comfort? Is he against us having money? Is he? No, he's not. But remember what he said in Matthew 6.33. He said this. He said, seek first his kingdom is righteousness, and he'll add all these things to us. In other words, you don't bow to that. It's not going to be your God. Serve me, and, I'll, and I love you because you're my son and daughter. I'll take care of you. Right? We just got to get our priorities straight. Amen? So when it came to the heart of the third person that simply said, let me go first and say goodbye, it's more of the same. Jesus is saying this. Please hear this. He's saying, God, you need to stop procrastinating on what you should uh, be doing. In other words, what you, sh- what you know is your priority, right? Stop procrastinating what should be a priority to you. Have a decided heart. Have a heart to follow me without the truckload of excuses and the bunch of Jesus IOUs attached to it. Yeah? Like how many times we said, Jesus, I will, but uh, I owe you one. <laughs> right? But I want you to know today, man, that just as Jesus then, just as he is now, he doesn't want our leftovers, right? He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want our leftover time or leftover effort, leftover energy, leftover talents, leftover money. He wants what the Bible says in Proverbs 3, our first and best fruits of our lives. Is that true or not true? Let me give you a quote that I read the other day, and I was like, ouch, so true. The late Leonard Ravenhill, he said this. He said that we as Christians, we believe to the point of inconvenience, and then we quit. We believe to the point of inconvenience, and then we quit. Listen, there's some of y'all in this room that when you got saved, you burned with the fire of God. You had a passion for Jesus. You, you prayed a lot. You read. You devoured the Bible. You did all those things. And then you got to a point where, guess what, where those things now... Maybe it's because you got married, maybe it's because you have kids, maybe it's because you have more responsibility. But now those things that you so readily say yes to, now they became an inconvenience and now you're saying no to them. Yeah? So, so it's this. So what happens in that process, we quit pressing in, we quit surrendering like we used to, we quit saying yes to the things he asks us to do and so on. It just kind of goes on down the line. And, and the sad part is this, listen to me. When you've tasted the goodness of God... You're going to be miserable if you keep walking this way because you're going to be like, man, I, I got to have that. So just say yes. Just say surrender. Let him work out all the other details because he will. Amen? He, he knows. He, listen, he's the one that gave you that wife, that husband. He's the one that gave you those kids. He's the one that gave you that job. In other words, he's not going to give you something that's going to become your God. He's going to teach you how to function and all that. It just requires you to do what? Say yes and be stretched and grow to greater levels to know how to do what you need to do. Amen? I mean, listen, as a Bible school student, it was easy to go pray three hours. It was easy. I wasn't married, okay? There was no one to snuggle up with at night. 
right? So it was easy to go walk in that field, whatever, and pray for three hours, say, Jesus, do your thing. Things shifted when I got married. And then I had four ninos, right? And, 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 so, and so there's this process, and guess what? I've had to adjust over the years if I want to stay connected to the vine. Amen? Because without it's not an option, right? So, all right, so I want to encourage you with this. We'll land this thing. Uh, I want to say something to you that, that I believe is available for every one of us, okay? Uh, several years ago, some of you guys have heard me share this story. I think I've shared it once in the last five years I've been here. Right before we moved to Maine, I, I don't know, maybe six months, a year, uh, I, you know how you're in that spot like you're, you're awake but you're asleep? I was in that spot. That's where God talks to me quite often there, okay? And the reason is, is because if you're like me, that's where my mind shuts down. And he can actually talk and get some words in. <laughs> so basically in the dream, uh, it was an all-black background, and, uh, and my friend Lance was sitting there. And, and Lance is, uh, for you guys, some of you guys actually know him, Lance is not a prophetic guy, like, at all, okay? Extremely gifted, favor of God's all over his life, but, but just brilliant guy, but not a prophetic dude. And in the dream, basically, it started, and Lance turned around and faced me, and he simply just looked at me with just straight serious on his face. He said, Quentin, the Lord would say, if you would put your hand to the plow and don't look back, he'll put his favor upon your life. Dream over. And I, and I woke up, and, and to be honest with you, I knew immediately my mind went to the scripture we just read, who puts his hand to the plow is not fit for the kingdom. My mind went there, and I had a certain theological perspective on that portion of scripture, and I was like, what is God saying? Because I knew it was him, and I got up, and I didn't say anything. You know, I took a shower, got dressed, drove to work. As soon as I landed in my desk, I opened up my Bible, found that portion of Scripture, and I'm like, God, what are you saying? And thank God for a, a good Bible. If you don't have a good Bible, get a good Bible. Uh, but, but Jack Hayford's Bible is incredible, New Spirit-filled study Bible. And I went down, and I read, the, read the, uh, basically the, the bottom part of it, right, the notes, and, and God spoke to me. Right, And what I understood was this, is that God was telling me if I would be willing to live with an undivided heart, right? if I would quit trying to grab a hold of the plow and look at everything else and getting distracted, that if I'd be willing to just grab a hold of that thing with both hands and go with Jesus, that he had put his favor and his anointing on my life in a greater measure than I've ever experienced before. And why do I tell you that? Because I think that's available for all of us. That if all of us be willing to grab a hold of that thing and say, Jesus, I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. My life is yours. I'm not looking at all these other things. I'm not going to be distracted. But God, I'm going with you. And are there, listen to me. Is there going to be death in that process? A thousand percent, yes. Okay? A thousand percent there's going to be death. But I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. My life was not my own. So I'm willing to die to go with him. And guess what will happen, man? Great things. Because the Bible says, people who know their God shall do great exploits. We either believe that or we don't. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the third thing, all I'm saying, the third thing that Jesus is wanting from us today. Okay? Yes, he's wanting uh, loyalty. Yes, he's wanting undivided love. But man, the third thing that he's really asking, he's asking me, will you have a heart that puts me first? Like, like will you make me top priority, not second? Will, will you live a life that's not compromised? Amen? So, so in the heart of today, understand this. Please, please listen to what I'm saying. That somewhere along the line, some of you guys have said yes to Jesus since we've been here in the last five years. Okay? 
And so where you're at, I can't blame another preacher. <laughs> it's my fault, okay? So, so I'll just say this, that, that listen, that when you answered the call to be saved, it was more than just going to heaven or hell. Okay? It's more than just being forgiven. And it's more than just coming and learning some Bible stories. It's more than just learning uh, church lingo. It's more than just uh, giving a head bob and acknowledging what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It's more than, hey, just throwing a few bucks to say you appreciate what we do in the offering bucket occasionally. It's more than, you know, singing some songs and hearing a redneck preach. It's more than being just, uh, just going, okay, we're going to live a good life. No, 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 no. When you said, yes, you were answering the call to follow me. Right? To Jesus. Follow me. Come be a disciple. So today, my encouragement to you is why not, man, let's do what the Word says because He has the authority and let's have the heart of a disciple and let's just do what He says and we'll let the rest work its way out. Is it scary? Heck yes. Yes, but there's no plan B. I'm either going with Jesus or the world. Can't do both. Right? Once again, I can try to hang to the right, hang to the left of the fence. After a while, we're going to slip and fall. And in the middle, hurt. Amen? Can you just simply say this? Just, just in your own heart, say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. It's just something about when we make room to just go, okay, God, I hear you. I hear you. Now I need you to talk to me. <laughs> Is there anything that's there that's maybe off that I need to get on track? That, that am I doing what you really expect me to do as someone who follows you? Do I know you? Am I becoming more like you? Am I making you known? Am I reflecting you? So Lord, I just pray Lord, literally, if there's uh, fear that's attached to a decision for someone, that that fear would be broken off. If there's someone here today that thinks, man, it is a burden to follow the, the Word of God, Lord, I just want to remind them what it says in 1 John, that His commands are not burdensome. But, Father, that there's joy and there's delight in walking with You. So, Lord, today we just say, God, in our own hearts, Lord, that we don't want to waver. God, we want to be people of great loyalty. God, that we want to be people that have an undivided love for you. And, Lord, if we've lived this life with other lovers, God, those other lovers, that list can be a mile long. God, there's things that continually get our heart and our affection, our attention before you. Lord, we just simply ask that you'd forgive us. But only that you'd forgive us. But Lord, that you'd begin to put a disinterest in our heart towards those things. Lord, forgive us from trying to get full spiritually from the things that are in this world. Lord, we want our hearts to hunger for you. We want to be satisfied in you. Jesus, you clearly said it is enough to be like the teacher. So we say just to you today, Jesus, we thank you that you're enough. You're enough. We don't need all this other thing. You're enough. And Lord, if there's anything in our heart, God, that we just simply, God, where we've been compromising, maybe it's a little over there or a little over here, but if we've been compromising, 
God, that we're not putting you first in our hearts. Lord, we just ask you to forgive us. God, forgive us, please. Forgive us. Man, can we say it? Say, God, forgive me. something may make some of you guys feel a little little strange if uh, that's not the goal here it's just just a simple act if we can let's just lift both hands up to heaven please say this with me say Jesus I surrender to you Jesus I surrender my way and my dreams my hope my desires And I choose today to follow you with all of my heart. Jesus, give me an undivided heart. So, Lord, with with their hands up today, Lord, we just say yes to you. Lord, and I ask that you would go in every heart and every life. And, Lord, I I pray that you would seal God, what you're doing in their hearts, almost, God, like you, you'd put something in concrete, and the, and the concrete hardens. God, where it's really difficult to get something out. Lord, I pray that that's what this decision would be today for us. God, that it would be so uh, secure and so firmly gripped in you, God, that it would be unshakable, unmovable. So, Lord, I bless your people, God, just to simply be all that you called them to be. I bless them, God, to experience you. I bless them today to find freedom. I bless them today to know their purpose. Amen. Can we give Jesus just a hand clap praise? Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.